0: Okay, as I promised last week, what we're going to do today is start another part of this series on Foundations, and what I'm going to do is take the book of Ephesians and go through the whole book over the next few weeks and highlight how these truths we've highlighted in the foundation series are part of all the teachings of Scripture. Who is God? What's He doing? What does that mean for us? Um, What is salvation all about? What is this new family we've got, the new resources we have, this new union we have, and how it really fits into everything that God is showing us through the Scripture. So let's jump in. Okay. Uh, As promised, this week we're starting Foundations, the, the second part of the series, on looking at the book of Ephesians and highlighting what's going on in the series. Uh, that we've just covered in the teachings of Scripture. Uh, you know, we've laid this foundation of the things God is doing, and here we're going to start with Ephesians chapter 1. I'm actually going to start in verse 3. The first couple of verses are kind of a, hey, how you guys doing passage. But he says this in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and we're going to go through and talk about it. Every couple of verses I'm going to stop and talk. So I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to read a couple and keep on going. Uh, with some commentary in between. All right, Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Now, in Ephesians You'll see this term, in Him, or in Christ, repeated a lot. Because everything that God is doing is wrapped up in us being united with Christ and Christ being united with us. That is the cause of all the effects that God is looking for. There's nothing more powerful than being united with the Creator God of all of heaven and earth and everything including us. But that union is something we will develop an understanding of probably for all eternity because He's an infinite Father that we have. But we're learning. What does that mean? Well, in this first couple verses He said He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So everything that we need to be blessed with is already ours in Christ, right? So how do we unpack this marvelous resource center that we have as a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Well, he's going to teach us that, but he chose us, you know, last time we talked about being called and chosen and predestined and all that and what he's doing, he's making us like Christ, but he chose us, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world that, and that word that is really important when you see something like predestined that they be conformed to the image of his son. Well, he chose us before the foundation of the world, it says here, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He chose us for that purpose, that we would stand before God holy and blameless. Now, the world that you and I live in basically teaches us that in order to be holy and blameless, you have to do only holy things and never do wrong things in order to be blameless because there's nothing you can be blamed for. But in God's economy, His children become holy and blameless as a gift. By grace, you are saved through faith. It's not a result of works. It's not of yourself, lest any man boast. It's a gift of God. We read that in Romans, or I mean, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I kind of jumbled it up there, but the point is it's a gift of God. We receive the gift of righteousness, the gift of life. Um, that's so important to understand because the world you and I live in has taught us the complete opposite of that. You don't get anything for free on this planet. And what you do, somebody has an IOU slip that you had to sign. They gave you something, but you've got to pay it back. They, they want that love and respect or whatever it is they gave you. They want it back. They want to be compensated and probably with interest. But his gifts are not like that. They are, they are without repentance. The Bible says the gifts and the call of God are without repentance. They're irrevocable, what that word means there. He's not going to go back on his promises because the gift he gives us is not based on what we do we earned it. It's based on what Jesus did. And so it's a true gift to us. And so we were chosen before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. So we're chosen for that purpose. And the only way you get there is through the gift of righteousness, the gift that comes from God on the basis of faith Paul talks about. That gift of righteousness in, in Philippians chapter 3 is not on the basis of works. And there's so much in that we'll see as we go through Ephesians and other books too, that uh, God is not looking for what we can provide. He's, he's asking us to receive and utilize what He provides. It goes on in the very end of verse 4 and in verse 5 and 6 and says this, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the belovedness Jesus. Well, let's take those couple verses apart. He did this in love, not in... He wasn't perturbed with this. He didn't get, ah, oh, well, I'll just have to do it this way. No, he did it because he loved us. You know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So in, in a loving way, in the, what is love? Doing the ultimate good for somebody else. Greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid, laid down his life for us. He did us the ultimate good. So in that mode of thinking, in that character, the power of his own character, because God is love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. So He predetermined that through Christ, we would become His children through adoption. Now, in our day and time, I have an adopted child. Um, In our day and time, some people believe that they're less than if they're adopted, but in reality, there is much as any natural born child because, and maybe some people even believe more so, and they believe the scripture teaches that because adoption is something you choose to do as a parent, uh, whereas sometimes a natural born child wasn't planned. Now, for God, everything is planned, but the deal is, he brought us in. And when it talks about adoption in scripture, you know, under Roman law, which that was the time this was written, adoption could not be revoked. You could actually disown and disinherit a natural-born child, but by law you could never disown or disinherit an adopted child. And that is huge. You know, when he brought us in, he wanted us to know, I choose you. That's why it said he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose to bring us into his family by Jesus Christ. There's a specific way he chose to do this. And for, uh, there's, there's some popular statements out there in the world today, you know, all roads lead to heaven and all that kind of stuff. No, there wasn't any way to heaven. So Jesus came and provided one, and he's the only one. He didn't limit it to Jesus. He provided Jesus when there wasn't a way to get there. And that was because of his great love for us. And it says he did this according to the kind intention of his will. He is so kind. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is kindness. Well, that's the Spirit of God in us that lets kindness out and lives kindness through us. The Lord is kind, the Bible says. He's gentle and so forth. So he had kind intentions through his will. And what was his will? That we would be that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. He wanted his house full. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Grace is, is a word we could probably spend the next, well, the rest of our lives unpacking its full meaning. know, yeah, I've heard grace like an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, grace, to me, I think of one person I think of when I think of Grace, I think of my grandmother, my grandmother Garland, my mom's mom. She was a gracious person. And in the Old Testament, it tells us God is gracious. He says that about himself. I am gracious. Okay. Well, what was it like to be at my grandmother's house? When I walked in the door, I was welcome. She was prepared for me. And even if we showed up unannounced, she made us feel like she'd been planning on us being there all day long. That she'd been thinking about that for months to, before. She was a gracious person. She made people feel welcome and valuable in her home. I saw perfect strangers walk up to her door at times. This was back in the 50s, early, late 50s and early 60s. Someone would knock on the door and say, Ma'am, I, I haven't eaten in a few days. Is there some kind of work around here that you'd have me do so I could earn me a little money or something and uh, she said well let's start with this and she would bring that man in her house sit him down at the table and feed him so that he would had the strength to go out and trim the hedge or whatever it was she was going to give him to do outside she was a gracious person and she didn't care what the guy looked like Um, was he the kind of person you know that deserved it or any of that kind of stuff she was just gracious to people and God is infinitely better than that. You know, by grace you are saved through faith, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.8. All right, so he did these things according to the kind intention of his will. This is not something that was put on him against his will. What he's doing for us was according to his will. And it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, that's in Christ. So he freely bestows his grace on us in Christ Jesus. Again, Ephesians is big on in Christ, you know, in him, and those kind of phrases will show up a lot as we go through it. Speaking of that, verse 7 goes like this, verse 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We could swim in that. That is deep. That is that is wide. That is an ocean is what that is. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. We have been redeemed. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to... Well, back when I was a kid, my mom saved these things called S&H Green Stamps. And when she got a book or two full of them or more, she could go down to this little s Green Stamp store and redeem those stamps, if you will, for something, like a toaster or whatever. Okay, that's one word for redemption but one of it it'd be like something is busted and messed up and no good and somebody took it and fixed it they redeemed it they brought it back to its purpose I saw a show about it's called the repair shop over in England and people bring stuff to this little shop and the artisans and craftsmen and uh, people in that shop fix it it might be a clock I saw them fix a violin and other things and they brought it back to its glory they back to its intended purpose the clock now ticks the violin plays the the picture has been restored the rip has been repaired the paint has been touched up and all this kind of stuff and it looks like it did when it was new but you could tell it had a special patina about it that came from all the years of use and abuse that it went through which made it even more beautiful and a testimony to its Creator and its Redeemer, the people in the shop that fixed it. Well, that's, that's us. When God, through Christ, brings us back to our intended purpose, He restores the glory that God had in mind when He made us. And it's even more glorious because we have a certain patina about us that testifies to not only the skill of the craftsman to create us, but the skill of the craftsman to redeem us and bring us back to our purpose. And it says He lavished this on us by His grace. He didn't just meter it out in a little teaspoon or a thimbleful here and there. He just opened the floodgates and we were washed away in God's grace. He cleanses us. He restores us. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the limbs that are broken. And all kinds of things the Bible talks about in regarding how God lavishes His nature, His character, His love on us. Picking up again in verse 8, it says, In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the kind intention which He purposed in Him, in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable for the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, Things in the heavens and things on earth—that's a mouthful. What does that mean? Well, because he is so wise and insightful on how things work, he's revealing that wisdom and insight to us through this great mystery of his will. What is the mystery? You know, see, one man, Ian Thomas, wrote a book called *The Mystery of Godliness*. And it's literally someone living in someone. It's God living in us, is the conclusion that he makes in there. It's literally Christ living in us. What is the mystery of his will? Well, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so that was what he, that's what he purposed in him. The Bible says that Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He knew before he ever said, let there be light, that... He would ultimately finish what he's going to start in us through Christ, through his perfect life, lived, sacrificed on our behalf, buried and raised on our behalf, seated at the right hand of God. And now we, we'll see here in a minute, are seated with him at the right hand of God. And so he is summing it all up. He is pulling it together. There's nothing left. There's there's not, okay, what's the next step? No, he completed us in Christ. Uh, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. We have been made complete in him, the Bible tells us. Things in heaven and things on earth, there's nothing coming in the future, not even in heaven, that needs to happen in order to complete what Christ has already done on our behalf and what has been done through us and in us through Him in us, as a result of this union with Christ, Christ in you the hope of glory. You know, Jesus again prayed in John 17. Father, I ask that they would be in us, just as I am in you, and you are in me, that they may also be in us, that the world might know that you sent me and did love them even as you loved me. So here's the deal: God is in Christ. Christ is in God. We are in Christ, and that for we are in made one with all of them. Why? So the world will know that Christ came and loved them as much as God the Father loved God the Son. That is, again, that's an ocean we can swim in for all eternity, trying to understand and experience and bask and just float in the love of God. very end of verse 10, going into 11, it says this, In Him we also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. He's not looking for suggestions. He does things after His own will. To the end, for this purpose, that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. So that, he's saying, As Christ is formed in us, people will praise Him for all eternity because of what He accomplished in us through Christ. As God's glory is revealed in His children, then we will see the wisdom and the power of God's work in us for all eternity. And that will be a constant source of praise, not only from us who have received it, but for all the angelic beings and whatever else is out there God will be praised for all eternity. But it says we have this inheritance. Now that's important. We're going to talk about the inheritance a lot as time goes on. Because what did we inherit when Christ brought us in and made us a joint heir with him? Well, it was all predetermined that these things are going to happen through Christ. He is the means through which God is accomplishing what he started. Verse 13, in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, he's turned from the apostles, the first ones to believe, he's turning to us. He says, in him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. All right, so in him, we heard the message, this true message about Christ, which is the gospel of salvation. The word gospel means good news of our salvation and having also believed. It becomes ours, not because we did something to deserve it, but because we just believed it. We accepted it as truth. That's why all down through history in the Scripture, it talks about this person believed God, that person believed God, and what their faith got them. Faith doesn't get you anything. You know, if I have faith, I'm sitting on a a tall stool right now, and I'm trusting that it's going to hold me up. Well, my trust doesn't make it hold me up. My trust makes me sit on it. Okay? Trust doesn't make God faithful. But when we trust him, we find out he is faithful, and salvation is like that. And it says, after believe, we were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is that seal? Well, it's a guarantee. It's a here's my here's my earnest. Uh, that's why it says who was given as a pledge of our inheritance. You know, if I were to go to you and you were selling your house for a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you said, okay, I want two hundred thousand for it, and I said, okay, I'll buy it. And you say, well, i got to have some earnest money. I I give you a check for $200,000. Well, no, earnest money is supposed to be just a little bit, like 10%, maybe $20,000 or something like that. Well, when God gave us his earnest, the seal, the pledge that he is going to save us, what he gave us was himself. (laughs) And, you know, if you... if, you backed out, if I backed out of buying your house, you get to keep the earnest money. Well, if God backs out of his promise to save someone he has saved, guess what we get to keep? The Holy Spirit. Well, God's not going to back out. He's not going to lose his earnest money. He's not going to lose himself. So we can have absolute confidence that we have been redeemed and that our inheritance is as sure, because when he gave us the pledge of his inheritance, yes, he gave us the whole deal. <laughs> when he gave us himself in the the form of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And that again will be to the praise of his glory. He has taken us for his own possession. He said, the only thing I want out of this deal is you. Again, I love John chapter 17. Jesus said, Father, I ask that these will be with me where I am, that they may see my glory. The only thing I found in the scripture that Jesus asked for, in reward, so to speak, For coming to the earth and doing everything God asked, the Father asked Him to do, was us. He asked for us. He wanted us. That blows my mind. How? how Why? Well, the world tells us we're not worth anything until we become something. He tells us you're worth something to Me, so I'm going to make you into something. What we become is not what makes us acceptable. It's the result of being acceptable through Christ. Now I'm going to finish this lesson with this passage out of Romans 10. It goes like this. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, how then shall how then will they Call on him in whom they have not believed. And how will they believe in him uh, whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Or how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news of good things. However, they did not all heed who heard the good news. For For Isaiah says... Lord, who has believed our report. So, verse 17, Romans 10:17 says this. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. All right, so as you hear the gospel, this good news of what God is doing and offering to us as a free gift through Christ, if you believe that, if you receive that, the Bible says, and many received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believed on his name. John 1:12. All right, so you have this gift that's offered, and all you have to do is receive it by believing that what God says is true and He's going to do what He's promised. Okay, that's it for today. We're going to pick up again next week uh, with Ephesians, rest of first, uh, chapter 1. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You're doing all these things according to Your kind intention. And this is your will. No one is squeezing or pushing their will on you. You're actually offering your will to us. And that is to be brought in and sealed and made an heir with Christ based on your promise and our willingness to receive it by faith. Thank you that it's offered to each one who hears and each one who believes that they might receive it and rest in it and grow in it and learn about it for all eternity. Thank you. That you have such great wisdom and that you knew that if you didn't do it it wouldn't get done but you are committed to what you've decided to do and you're going to finish what you started again we thank you for jesus and all that he has done for us in coming to earth and fulfilling your will on our behalf we pray in his name amen